0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am
1: Eki Tepsiporanchai.
0: Well, it's good to be back uh, another week. Um this week, we have a really special guest, and this is going to be a fantastic episode. In fact, I would just say at the beginning, if you're standing up, you should probably sit down for this one. It's going to be that good. Um, we we have with us Aaron Coates. Aaron, it's really nice to have you joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, not only is Aaron joining us, but she's going to join us in talking about theology. Can you <laughs> believe that? We, we have a woman that's going to talk about theology. Isn't that great? We should have someone
1: in the background that goes, dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we just did. Uh, yeah, it it's going to be a good podcast. Um, it, it, in in all seriousness, th- this is an issue that I think we, we need to take seriously. We kind of need to address because I think there's a lot of confusion around what the biblical mandate is um, when it comes to. Women teaching in the church, teaching doctrine, teaching theology, and I think on the surface these are actually good questions, right? I think for a lot of people, the question uh, is coming from a place of, well, I I love God's word, and I want us to, I want to see us follow God's word, and so what does God have to say in this particular area? Um, we know that culturally um and uh you can correct me if this is not true in canada but i think you guys are further along than we are in all the wrong ways uh and we're on your heels um you know there there has been a problem with feminism in the church right the the church has been inundated um with just blatant disregard for scripture uh with so-called women pastors um and and so there has been the need to put the brakes on and say wait a minute um the 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 eldership the pastorate is for qualified men only and that's by god's good design has nothing to do with um ability has everything to do with god's plan and purpose and how he made us and what he's decided uh for his body um and so but the problem is and we know this all throughout church history when there's a major issue in the church uh the pendulum tends to swing to the far other side. And so we sort of miss the narrow path and we go from one ditch to another. And I think we're starting to deal with that where there's some question about um, can women teach anything in the church? I mean, uh, can, can you even read a book without your husband's permission? I don't know. I mean, we'll answer these questions maybe. Um, but doctrinally, what does scripture say? And of course, we're going to go to uh, Titus, right? Titus 2. And that kind of set us up. Any initial thoughts from you, Eki, before we release Aaron onto the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, talk about the pendulum. This is, uh, again, that the saying always comes to mind, semper reformanda, always be reforming. So whether the pendulum is sping, swinging to one side or the other, we always want to come back to Scripture. And uh, for, uh, you know, kind of this uh, cultural movement that's happening, that's uh, that's attacking when and where women should be teaching theology. I think Titus 2 is going to be the perfect passage because they would say that Titus 2 is restrictive, that this this defines the only areas that women should be teaching other women theology.
0: Yeah, and you know, interestingly enough, I would agree. The problem is there's a lot of misinterpretation on what that restriction is. And I think it's because people aren't looking closely and really contemplating the text. And sometimes we just aren't thinking very well um, uh, about about right application from from the text. Let let, let me just read this text for us, and and we'll we'll get into it. Um, So Titus 2, I mean, we all know it. It says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. This is, of course, uh, Paul speaking. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise— Are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. And then, of course, Paul goes into young men and slaves and things like that. So here we have the text. Aaron. <laughs> obviously you've read this text. Um what what's your initial thoughts when you come to a text like this and and you're in some ways you're you're not just a faithful woman in the body of Christ but your husband's also the pastor there um and, and so in, inevitably that means uh, you'll be coming alongside probably more women just by the nature of that um what, what what are your initial thoughts on on that passage have you guys had to study that more in recent times or no <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: we, we've actually been studying it pretty thoroughly i think since our women's ministry has been in place which has been for over 10 years um and so this is the Titus 2 passage is very much a part of our forf- our, our fulfillment as women to the great commission um, the the problem is is that it's not the only passage given to believers so it's kind of like you know here's the text for women as new testament believers but all of the other texts seem to be for men well, what do you do with all of the 50 some odd one another's and and yeah. teaching women to fulfill the Great Commission and, and helping them really build out this text. So um, what I think about this text is it's beautiful. Um, it is marvelous, the roles that God has called us to as women, um, but these are all rooted in sound doctrine. And the, the fear that I have right now with the movement that's happening, obviously it's very reactive in regards to what is happening in society and what has happened in, in coming into the church um but that they're they're divorcing theology from orthopraxy and they're saying theology is just for the men to teach and then orthopraxy is just for the women to live out as an example um but as i've counseled women over the years that is utterly impossible um it is yeah. impossible to teach this text faithfully Um, without bringing sound doctrine, who is God into this passage? Why does he call us to these things? Um, And so it's just kind of like a summary passage for women of pulling the Bible together. And how do I live in the church, in my home, uh, in in society, before a watching world, so that the word of God is not blasphemed. But really, it's beautiful, but yeah, it's for whatever reason, it's being trifled with.
1: Now, when you say it's impossible to do the orthopraxy without the orthodoxy, um can you help flesh that out a little bit for those that may be having trouble connecting those two dots?
0: Those are really nice theological terms, by the way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> My husband has taught me well. <laughs> I say that like as a joke, but not really. He really has. Me well. Um he uh he's actually, I think, gonna be going through this passage on Sunday, uh this coming Sunday and and wow clarity to this issue too. Um, so you guys can listen to that, but you know, even if you take older women, uh, likewise would be reverent in their behavior. There's a fear of God in that. Um, mm-hmm. and what is the fear of God? Well, the fear of God is rooted or wisdom is rooted in the fear of God and the fear of God is to obey his command. And so we need to know what his commands are. So an older woman is a woman who is obedient to the commands of God. And then she's not a, a malicious gossip. She's not enslaved to much wine. She's teaching what is good. And here's where, Um, The problem is, is that you see so many people limiting what is good, like good is just this passage. Um, But what is good? Well, God is good. His word is good. And all of the Bible is applicable for us. It's living, it's active. Um, And so I cannot teach a younger woman to be um, sensible, which is so prone, self-control, if I'm not bringing in All of the passages of scripture and showing her what it means to be self controlled in her thought life, in her speech, um, in the way she manages her home, her children, her love for her husband. Um, You can't be pure without knowing who God is and all of his holiness, because as you gaze at the holiness of God, Um, And the purity that he has, we're also called to be pure. And so I have to call women to be pure again in their thought life, in their conduct. It's all rooted in who is God. What are his expectations of us for holiness and godliness? Um, And then workers at home, you, you know, this could be the one aspect of this passage where you could be like, well, this is the only one not really rooted in theology, but then that's a far stretch. Um, because if you go back to a worker at home, well, who is our greatest example of a worker at home? The Proverbs 31 woman. And the last passage in the Proverbs 31 is um, she's rooted in the fear of God again. So mm-hmm. everything that she does from being kind, industrious, diligent um, Like all of the qualities that are there for her as a wise woman living that out in her home, those are all theological. That's like, here's the culmination of all of wisdom. And whether she's an actual woman or a personified woman, um, she is the culmination of what a wise woman looks like. And so you just can't, like, all of this is rooted in theology. And so part of me thinks, you know, have these people just not really dealt with real life cases of, you know, when a woman comes to me? Um, and she's having trouble with submission to her husband. Like I've got to show her like what submission is, how it's rooted in creation. Um, yeah. you know, you have to teach her like even Christ in the incarnation submitted yeah. to the other that doesn't make him less than, um, and so like all you're pulling at all of these various things, but so much of what we do is so rooted in the character of God, you know, the troubles that a young woman faces, on a daily basis. How is her view of God going to help her with that? Mm -hmm. So I just fear that, you know, with just teaching the practical aspects of, of homemaking and all of that, which is really, really important um, that we are going to fall into legalism. And, and I am seeing that Uh, we've actually had to battle it, you know, left and right coming into our church and be like, no, this is not, (laughs) this is not happening. You can hold your convictions, um, to the glory and honor of God, but um, you, what I see just a lot is people making application law or conviction yeah. law. Um, so yeah, yeah, that helps.
0: No, that's really great. Let, let's just break down this passage some because I, I think it 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 really forces us to come to a a, a much bigger and holistic picture than people tend to think. I just start with the, the the first part. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. The word reverent there is becoming of holiness. And, and so older women are to teach younger women, or, well, are, are, are to first be holy in their own behavior. And that that is that assumes that the older woman has a depth of knowledge of God, that she knows what it means to be holy. And so from the very beginning, the assumption is that this is a woman who is deeply in the word, who is well studied, who understands the doctrines of God, the person of God, the character and the nature of God. I mean, otherwise she she couldn't be one who is labeled as holy, right, uh, in, in her behavior. And so it, it goes on, not malicious gossips, and it gives all these examples. And I think this is important in this passage Because this is a pattern Paul has, and people mistake the pattern for uh, a prescription. And and what I mean by that is what Paul often does is he gives doctrine or he makes a statement, and then he gives a few examples of how that plays out. And those aren't the only ways that it plays out. He's just giving examples. So, for instance, you go to Ephesians Uh, You get to the end. I can't remember what chapter, maybe end of three or four or something like that. And Paul is talking about how we're to be uh, spirit filled. And then he goes into um, uh, wives, submit to your husbands, children, submit to your parents, uh, believers, submit one to another. What's he doing? Well, he's now giving examples of what a spirit filled life looks like. But that's not all a spirit filled looks life looks like. And he's doing the same thing here. He's not saying these are the only specific things women can do. But even if he was saying that, once we understand what the implications are and what the assumptions have to be, you still come to the same conclusion. If women are going to disciple other women because all believers, and I think people need to hear this, and especially, you know, ladies who are listening to this particular podcast who have started to kind of feel like well I need to pull back on study I need to pull back on theology look it, the individual command is to love the lord love love god with all your heart all your mind all your strength all your soul if you're going to do that you've got to be in the word of god you've got to be studying the word of god you're supposed to be holy in behavior so you need to know these things and then if you're going to disciple others you know like there's something in scripture about making disciples you know uh, of people um, and if we're going to be faithful to that, well, what does making a disciple of Christ look like? What does that entail? And I think that's just what we don't think about when we read this passage. If women are going to be discipling other women, well, if they're faithful, they're they'll be required to to talk about and and teach and study the deep things. Of God, this isn't the shallow "Jesus loves me" theology of Stephen Furtick, you know, or or Joel Osteen. This is coming to know true God, um, coming to understand Bibles because the the Bible because we're supposed to be making disciples, and that's not just men; that's everyone, right? So the the passage, you got any comments on that? I mean, this passage is so beautiful because it actually destroys the idea that women are limited to doing homemaker things outside of theology. This passage actually destroys that mentality if you really understand it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, when we look at Scripture and we see these kinds of lists, and you bring up the good point, and it's similar to when Paul gives us the gifts of the Spirit. When he lists out the gifts of the Spirit, it's not a complete list. It, various times you see gifts of the Spirit and the lists don't match. Well, it's because he's just giving out examples. And when we if we were to look at the instructions to men here, right here in Titus 2, we see that there's a number of things that older men are expected to be like, um, and and how younger men are to be sensible, and And verse 7 says, show yourself to be a model of good works, and so on and so forth. We don't look at that and restrict that and say, well, this is exactly what men are supposed to be, nothing more than this. Uh, so we understand that those examples are really just examples. But I love what Aaron talked about in terms of saying that you can't have orthopraxy without orthodoxy. because we need to absorb the full counsel of God. Um, the, the Bible is not something like, well, this book is for you and that book is for you. No, all of it is for us. And to those who would claim that women need to either learn from their husbands or if they're engaged in theology, it should just be in kind of these areas. Well, that unnecessarily restricts or, or tries to place artificial restrictions on the theology that must be studied in the first place. And <clears throat> And of course, when we study theology, At the end of it all it shouldn't just be an intellectual endeavor of course we're going to come out from that and say well what does this mean for our lives how should we live this out and i would start that's what women are doing now the the applications they come up with might not be gender specific it might not be specific to just a woman but praise be to god if they come up with the right kind of applications because there's certainly a lot of application that applies to both genders
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we get to this next part, Aaron. It it says so that they may instruct young women in sensibility. Uh, So, you know, in case anyone wasn't didn't know to instruct here is actually to discipline or correct. Right. And you're correcting in the things of the Lord. So let's just talk about this. Have you ever had to lovingly correct or discipline? You know, in 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 kind of an informal, we're not talking about church discipline, another young woman in in sensibility and purity and holiness, what did that kind of look like like? I mean, did did you have to say theological things? Um, I, I just sort of want to paint a realistic picture of discipleship for people so that, you know, guys listen to the podcast can look and say, "Oh, you know what? It, this is actually inseparable. what What women are forbidden to do right, is very clear in scripture when we think of elders and being pastors, but this is something quite different. This is encouraging a depth of theological involvement that I think actually the church has been hurt because we haven't been doing this well. Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I mean— yeah. Would you be a faithful Christian if if you weren't addressing these issues with women? And so, you know, we have a formal women's ministry where we actually go through books of the Bible and, uh, and, and sometimes it's stuff that has already been preached from the pulpit and we will just go through their lessons and, um, write questions that are applicable to us as women. Um, and then there's times where there's more one-on-one counseling discipleship happening. Um, my husband always says that he does not know where Grace Life would be without our women's ministry because it's so proactive. Um, and that we are discipling women and so. They're not getting to a place where they're where they're in crisis counseling or there's problems in their marriage because it's mm. like we're digging their well for them. Um, but there have been times where you absolutely have to address this passage with women and figure out, you know, what are they really struggling with? And everything always comes back to a bad theology or be a wrong view of God. Um, Any that would give you a wrong view of yourself. And so, as a disciple, as somebody who's involved in discipleship, my job is to get into that woman's heart and help her to see her sin. Where is she sinning? Because sometimes you think it's obvious, like, like the fruit is obvious, um, but we need to actually deal with the root of that. And and so you have to be a skilled surgeon to figure out, okay, why is this woman having trouble being pure or submitting to her husband? What is her, what is her idol? What does she love? Um, so there's so many things that are happening that you know, a good discipleship leader is going to have as much as able to hand it to that young woman and take her through the passages that are going to help her pinpoint. What is my sin issue? How do I put off this sin? What is my thinking? How do I put on right thinking? Um, and so there's so much involved in that, but you have to use theology. You have to use things like the attributes of God. Um, even just in simple things, you know, when you're struggling as a young mom and you have sleepless nights and, you know, as Octavius Winslow says that that experiential um, presence of the Lord has been taken from you, the sensible presence of the Lord. That's what he says. Um, How is the immutability of God? How does that come to weight on your life? Why is the fact that God is unchanging in those moments going to be so important to a young mom as she is just dying in the throes of motherhood with young kids? And um, why is his sovereignty important? And so that's all, you know, everything comes back to who is God. And my job under the the direction of our our leadership, of course, um, is to help them figure out where's their thinking gone wrong? Where is their theology arrived? Because the reason why you're struggling is because there's something wrong fundamentally with the way that you're thinking about scripture or thinking about the Lord.
0: Now no, you, that's you a mentioned really good something. point. Yeah, go ahead, Eki. Oh,
1: you mentioned something very important under the direction of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. Where does the leadership of, of your husband and the elders of the church come in, in, in the women's ministry? Because obviously they're not there with you in the Bible studies and whatnot. Where does that fit in?
2: Yeah. Um, so I always say that if you have a women's ministry that is running separately from your church, you're in sin. Like you should not have just the separate church, the separate entity, um, uh, working a ministry that's totally and completely not under the oversight of your elders. They're given charge over your soul. They're given charge of, of, especially the women in the, well, not especially, but the women in the church. Um, and so everything that we do is so connected to our elders and praise the Lord. Um, I'm our women's ministry director, but James is the elder over the women's ministry. And so we work really closely with everything, what I'm teaching. Um, our lessons that we're writing, the questions that we're asking, we're always dialoguing. And for him, it's really helpful for them to have a good pulse on what are our women struggling with? How how do we go in and help Mm. them um, as issues kind of surface? And um, so it's hugely helpful for them. So uh, with the surge of people in our church, um, they haven't really had like a really good teaching of um, male headship and elders and stuff like that. And a lot of people are new uh, to the faith or they just haven't been under good teaching. And so I thought, okay, this year, it's really, really important that we, ha- we have a fellowship once a month where we have a larger teaching time or we highlight missionaries or we have a morning of prayer. We, we pray for our government, our leaders, our families, all of it. Um, so we do different things. And I thought, okay, for this one event that we have once a month, let's bring in the elders for them to teach us the disciplines of life um, and, and biblical womanhood and godliness, just to show them, just to show our women that our elders are involved in the shepherding. This is like, we're here to mediate the presence of our elders uh, in the life of our women. And so we, we have been hugely connected to our leadership in just helping them um, know what's happening in the heart of our women. Where are they at? Are they fulfilling this passage? How are they doing? Um, because there's going to be things that women deal with that, you know, only women should really deal with. Um, it's not appropriate for a man to deal with. So this just helps them have a good pulse on a really a large portion of the women in our church.
1: That's wonderful.
0: I mean, that's that that's really great because that actually does address, I think, one of the legitimate failures that, that we see sometimes in women's ministries in the church, where they kind of effectively, the, the women leaders are kind of the pastors by function, right? E- even in like reformed-ish camps. Um, and, and so I, I that's such a beautiful picture of, I think, how it's done well and rightly. Um, but you just can't go beyond that, right? And so the way you guys are are set up, you, everyone can see that the elders are shepherding everyone in the church. They're shepherding the men and the women. Um, And that doesn't mean that the pastors, the elders have to teach every, you know, lesson of the women's Bible study. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean just like you guys have set up, they they have oversight. They know what's being taught. They're engaging with, with, you know, with the women like they would with the guys in terms of, you know, where they're at in their spiritual walk. Um, yeah, I, I want to. So thank you for that. I think that's very helpful for people. I want to jump back to uh, a term that you used when we were talking about women submitting to their husbands, because this is one of the things in Titus 2, right? Teaching, young women to love their husbands. You go back to Ephesians. And I love this. Uh, this is one, uh, to your point, you can't just stick with Titus. You, you have to have the whole counsel of God. Um, 522, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so if you're gonna teach a woman who's struggling with submission, um, you mentioned the term immutability, for instance. Well, now for for you to know that and for you to teach that, you, you have to know the communicable and incommunicable traits of God. Yes. I mean, this is real theological study. and And I do want to bring out some of these more academic terms, not not to try to impress anybody. I, the point I want to make is that these are, are are things that require deep study. They're not surface level um, you, you know, doctrinal kind of things. They're they're the deeper things. And so you come to Titus, and this is, I think, just assumed in the passage, because if you're going to teach a woman how to love her husband well, and she's struggling with that, or maybe she's not, um, well, what does it mean to, to, to love your husband, to submit your husband? Well, first and foremost, uh, there has to be a motivation, and we find the motivation in Ephesians. The motivation is you're doing it out of submission to God first. And so you actually bypass the human element to start with, and you have to go straight to doctrines of God. What does it mean to submit to God? Um, what What is his character? What is Why is his unchangeableness, his immutability matter in the relationship? Um, yeah, I mean, just such an incredible and, and beautiful picture. I mean, this is why I love it when I hear Titus quoted, um, and I don't love it when it's misquoted and it's abused a lot. But I look at some of those things, and I say, and I just think, man, if if guys really sat down and looked at at those passages and asked the question, because the 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 grammar matters, the words that God used in those passages matter, and we just contemplated what it means to teach holiness. What does it mean to teach reverence? What does it mean to teach uh, a, a wife godliness? Um, I think. We would be forced to come to very different conclusions than what a lot of folks are coming to. Let, let's talk about marriage, Aaron. Let's just get real practical, uh, brass tacks here. You, you can make up an example that's you know kind of similar. You've been in ministry for a while, so um, it, it, you, walk us through maybe a scenario um, where you've had to get into just real meaningful um neat b- biblical stuff, however, you want to do that. I, I want to give folks an example of just how this looks in, in real life uh, as we've been doing.
2: Yeah. Um so you want an example of marriage and uh that what that would look like in regards to like submission and kindness and um yeah. serving your husband. Oh man, that that's like how much time do we have? <laughs> I mean, I, I really only have the example of my own marriage. Um, you know, J- James and I, 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 first of all, I love my, I love marriage. <laughs> uh, I think James is great. Um, but I um, really had trouble with submission when we were first married because of my life before coming to Christ. I just didn't, I didn't know anything. Um, and so I thought. You know when i married him i was like what what have i done like this guy's always in my space and he looks back on those years and he thinks they're wonderful and uh it was really just like the first year of marriage um where i was you know with submissions sitting down on the outside but i was standing up on the inside and mm. and so you know how do you walk through something like that well you know, I had a woman address it in my own life where it's like, you think that you're, you're walking well with the Lord, but you kind of just have this one piece of the pie that's out of joint, which is submission to your husband. And and it's just like, you know what, my dear submission is not a piece of the pie. It's actually the whole pie. Mm -hmm. And uh, Um. if you're having trouble submitting to your husband, because it's unto the Lord, your relationship with there's something wrong there. Um, And so we had to correct that and just really wanting to, to please the Lord, to please my husband. um, But I needed right thinking on that. And, uh, but, and then realizing like, there has been times in my life where I think I was struggling with kindness towards my children. And I read a book by an older woman, um, Joel Beakey's wife, Mary Beakey on the law of kindness. And I thought, Oh, okay. Like I need to put these scriptural principles into play to be kind to my husband, to be kind to my children. Um, because that's evidence of the Titus two women. So I don't know if that's what what you want um, in regards to examples, but all of this passage is always working in, in my life with self-control. And um, I just taught at a online conference on purity and the importance of, you know, even how, how do you one stay pure was well, important that you realize the aspects of watchfulness and meditation, because if you're not watchful over your heart in life and, and, watchful is repeated in scripture, um, then you're not going to be aware of the things that are coming into your life, your disposition, your temperament, all of that in order to put it to death. And then meditation, Am I? um, Colossians 3, am I setting my mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and filling it with his word? Um, So teaching women that those are the aspects of purity that I, I have to teach them as they go through sometimes the really mundane tasks of being a wife and a mother, um, that there's such a beauty in, in these things. And I think, you know, as these guys talk about, you know, you just to teach the practical aspects, but I think Jesus would actually differ with you on that because when he was addressing Martha, he's saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many preparations, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the best thing. And that is to worship Christ. And uh, so my job is to teach these women how to do the Martha aspects of this passage with a merry heart of worship um, and being close to Christ. Um, and I think is evident through women in history as well. And I think that's actually also really lacking. Is um, there is a vast difference between the women today of old that I read their writing and I'm like, there's something not right here. <laughs> there's a disconnect in and just their depth of thought of Christ and theology, um, because it's so evident in their writing that these women from the 16th, 17 1800s um, were theologically astute. And it, and they loved men's roles. They loved the pastors in their life. Um, so I don't think that those two are in conflict.
1: That's a, that's a great observation, because I, when I teach church history, I often point out that it's during the like the fourth and fifth century, as well as the period of time following the really the Reformation and immediately following that, that we have some of the richest writing. But you bring up a great point that the women were writing theologically rich works as well. And so we see examples and, and proof that the women were not left in the dark, they were not simply just told to follow their husbands around, but they were actually soaking their minds and their hearts in scripture and, and applying it to their lives. So when you are discipling young women, um, one, do you find that they struggle with what you struggled with initially, which is submission? And then two, um, how do you define to those young women what the boundaries are? Like, so if they ask, well, am I supposed to submit in everything? What are the exceptions to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we actually just taught through this as we went through Colossians, and we got to um, wives submitting to their husband. We took an entire week of lessons and just dug that passage apart just for women, um, and and we showed them the, the the guidelines of submission is not a total submission. Um, obviously, if your husband is harming you, you need to notify your church leadership, and if he's really harming you, like the police, that's a civil um, offense that's happening there. Um, but obviously you, you need some men to come in and help you if, if, um, he's sitting in that way against you. Um, but, uh, it's not a total submission. So if your husband asks you to sin, uh, if your husband asks you to violate your conscience in any way, um, that it's not, it's not a total submission that you are, it's, it's kind of like what we just went through with the government where it's not like a total submission. They're asking us, um, not to do things that Christ has asked us to do like communion, like singing to one another and songs, spiritual songs and, um, greeting one another with a holy kiss, maybe not a holy kiss, but you know, a hug. Yeah. um, so they're asking us to do things, not gather, not worship Christ like that. We just cannot do that. You do not have the authority, um, to do that. So, um, you know, our church is a really sound church. And some of the stuff that the younger women are wrestling with today is it's different in the way that is, um, coming out of them, but it's all the same heart issues. And so once you know how to deal with the heart, you know, it's, it's just going to look different. Like the, the young women today, I think there's a huge problem with young women, uh, not having their foot in their own home, um, getting into controversial conversations, especially online, uh, where their speech is not above reproach where they're not being kind um and and even pure in the in the way that they're saying things like I see some young women um and even older women speaking to pastors online and I think oh my heart like <laughs> this is just this is so evident to me that there is a lack of holiness which is again rooted in your theology um, is that the heart is going to always express itself and it's uh, expressing itself really in a lack of godliness, especially a young amongst the young women online. Um, now I don't have access to them they're not under my care but I can minister to the young women in our church and um, you know give them caveats or question that how you know your conduct online um, yeah stuff like that so yeah addressing young women, um, it's all the same heart issues we're going to deal with. That's why these passages are so helpful.
1: <laughs> now, you, you mentioned um, a book by Mary Beakey, and you've read from some of the women of the past, uh, the 16th, 17th, uh, 17th centuries. Um, are there times where a book study that's not written by a woman or that is not directly towards a female audience? And and if so, can you think
2: just because we opted to stick to scripture and um, you know, we're always reaching back to the pulpit, always reaching forward to the pulpit of what our leaders are teaching and intertwining Uh, that lessons. Um, I think some of our, our study groups would probably do a book. Now Um, this is me and I'm maybe I'm going to undermine my entire argument here, (laughs) but besides somebody like Susie Spurgeon or Ann Dutton um, I'm probably not going to do a book by a woman, especially women who are writing today, unless it's somebody like Susan Heck. Um, yeah. you, they just don't, they're too fluffy. Um, they're, they're just, I don't know. It's not.
1: You don't see yeah. the same depth of theological thought. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah like, like when I look at the life of Susanna Spurgeon and who she was to her husband in ministry, I want to aspire to be a, a woman like that. Um, first of all, because she was very much involved in, you know, Spurgeon would read his sermons to her. She would edit them. She would put mm-hmm. scripture references in. Um, but also when he was facing his really difficult valleys of depression, it was Susie who would read scripture to him and comfort him and bring him yeah. out of seasons like she was a true helper. And then her writing after he died, she wrote for the sword in the trowel, which was his his ministry. Um, and then she wrote a whole bunch of theological works where it is you see the depth of her love of Christ and she will take verses and pull them apart and um, apply it to your heart. but there's that experiential um, kind of knowledge that the women had, especially in the Puritan era that you just don't really see today. Um, and I wish that the young women of this generation would read more Puritans and and see the depth of their holiness and, and their love of Christ. Um, instead of um, making secondary issues primary issues, because women will say, well, I'm not doing that. But it's evidence online that you are doing that because you will throw restoratives at brothers and sisters online and then you will cut them off. Um, Mm. Then you'll mock them. And and mocking to me is terrifying because in Jude, it talks about how mockers will be in the church. (laughs) And so you're like, I do not want to have a characteristic of a false teacher. Um, And so you see that just the, the the divisiveness, the um, camp getting smaller and smaller as they divide over um, secondary issues. You know, Mm -hmm. I think about somebody like Joel Beakey, who um, has been huge uh, in my life, especially in regards to like purity and holiness. Um, And we are vastly different in our theology. I am, I'm premillennial in my eschatology. Yeah. He is a covenant all-millennialist. Like yeah. we are vastly different. But when I'm together with Joel Beeke, I'm not going let's let's argue about um, eschatology and and your hermeneutic and like I'm yeah. going telling you about the loveliness of Christ. What is He doing in your life? How is He changing you? Um, so there's just uh, that lack of depth. Which all uh, this is probably going to be a really bold thing I'm going to say here. It all comes back to the pulpit.
1: Yeah.
2: So, um, I actually saw a lady bragging online that her pastor had said that he has not come across one theologically sound woman. And I thought, Oh wow. dear, that that doesn't, I don't think that means what you think it means. And I hope you haven't been wow. in ministry longer than a year because that's actually reflective of what's coming from your pulpit and that you are not equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it all comes back to just, it's a weak pulpit.
0: Yeah. You know, you mentioned scoffers and I was reminded of Psalm one, which I preached a couple Sundays ago. And let's just read that and and maybe it'd be good for folks. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Um, Yeah. Powerful. Powerful words there. You know, it is interesting, Aaron, we kind of when we think about feminism and and you really you did describe this in a way that I think, you know, uh, people aren't going to like what I'm going to say, but that's okay. It's just true anyway. So um, feminism is not just found in in liberals, hatred towards men. It's also found in the very same attitude you described, conservative um, Reformed ish, you know, Christian women who are looking for and enjoying picking fights with pastors and elders and men. That's that's also feminism, um, and, and so it's it's ironic. And you know, we did a podcast on um, how demonic the the feminist feminist wave is, and part of the deception is that it can move um, between liberalism and conservatism, um, you know, biblical orthodoxy, and, you know, otherwise, because it just changes form a little bit, because ultimately, it's a heart attitude, which you've been talking about. Um, and, and so that's just very interesting. And I think it it was, it was good that you kind of painted that picture of what you see online. I think it'd be something good, you know, um, not just for, you know, young women to consider, but, but really, I think, Part of that issue is a lack of humility as well. But that's what feminism does. Feminism destroys humility, right? It, it embodies a sense of pride. Um, so, it, yeah, th- those are very interesting things. I want to jump to the homemaker thing, Aaron, in the few minutes we have left, um, because this is the part of that passage that often gets sort of highlighted. Everything else gets skipped over uh, but because it's hard to disconnect theology from everything else, at, at least just on the surface. When you get to the passage in four that, uh, let's see, where are we at? Five, it's be sensible nor workers at home. That That's the one right there, workers at home, right? It's just one uh, phrase in the midst of a whole line of items that gets highlighted. See, women are only supposed to be workers at home. Well, that's very interesting because the the word there does not mean working at home only it 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 means domestically inclined um and, and I, I, again it, that matters because it just means that your heart and your mind is concerned about what's happening at home and then you say okay well what does that look like well, do we have any other examples in scripture of what a woman who's domestically inclined looks like and of course you brought it up earlier right the proverbs woman and, and you go through that and you have to be just utterly dishonest um, to read through that well and decide to say women can only work at home and not do anything else and not do theology because the Proverbs 31 woman is all over the place. She's doing business. He's making things. She's but it has a context. Proverbs 31, the whole context is everything she's doing is ultimately to benefit whom? Her family. But she's doing things in the marketplace and, you know, getting spices. And uh, John MacArthur has some really great sermons uh, just kind of elaborating on what that looks like. Right. I mean, she's taking her time to go and trade with tradesmen to bring spices that wasn't overly common. Um, and and the reason she would have done that is because she wants her home to be filled with good things and new things and unique things she wants her family and the servants to enjoy the food. I mean just all of those little details and ultimately the 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 heart behind all that is her love for God. so when you when when you have young women come to you and say, well, this passage basically just says I have to be a worker at home just walk us through some of the things. Um, you, you would point her to biblically again, just as another example of how you you can't separate theology from a single thing in this passage. Uh, but let's use this one. Uh, a, a woman's just gotten married and she says, Aaron, I've been listening to these guys online and they're telling me that uh, I just need to be a homemaker. That's what God wants from me. Um, so I'm just going to cook a meal and have kids and that's it. What, what kind of things do you go? How do you disciple her?
2: Yeah, I mean, if those are the things that she wants to do, I'd be like, bravo. <laughs> You're going to be a homemaker, take care of your kids. That's amazing. Um, but what, uh, you know, there have been several women where these are they are real life counseling cases where, you know, you have a wife who um, she wants to homeschool her children and and she her salvation is actually being questioned because her kids are in public school. But no one's ever stopping to ask this young woman, like, why are your kids in public school? Well, she's submitting to her husband Mm -hmm. and um, he's not there yet. He's not ready for her to um, homeschool the kids. He still has kind of a public school mentality. So how can that young mom do her best by being involved at that school? I think of one of my friends, um, she's involved in a school. She has, she started a Bible class in a public school (laughs) and she is so heavily involved in her kids' lives and addressing all of the things that, um, could come into her life. So, you know, I want to be careful that we are not setting up laws where God's word is not setting up laws. So if a young woman comes to me and, you know, she has all of these things that, um, are, are beautiful to her. She wants to work in her home and raise her children and homeschool them or whatever. Um, good. But if you say that other people are in sin, um, for not doing the things that you're doing in the way that you're doing them that's legalism and you're actually in sin because you're judging somebody else who you know you may not know their situation now if you have a woman who um she just wants to get out of her home she doesn't want to raise her kids then you have a problem there also Um, but I i think of multiple women in our church who are young women who have jobs who are serving the church so faithfully, um, serving the married couples, um, they have this freedom that uh, married women don't really have in regards to serving the local church faithfully, but they have jobs and they're kind of like the women who supported Jesus ministry financially. They were there and supporting him financially. Um, or, or like Nympha, the, the woman from Colossae, the church of Colossae was in her house. Um, she was faithfully serving that church by having them into her house. So I would just say to a young woman like Bravo, if there's a things that you, you want to do, um, the, that's amazing but you can have women and this is what i'm actually seeing right now the danger is you have women on it that are workers at home but their heart is not in their home their their mm. heart is everybody else's business their heart is on every controversy that's happening online um they're seeking to build a platform for themselves and they it just hasn't been granted to them by God They're mm. um, setting up legalistic expectations that that's where I would draw the line. Um, and that, you know, you have women who are, who are workers at home, but they're in sin. And, yeah. uh, but then you have women who, you know, their priority is their home, but maybe they are like the Proverbs 31 woman. They have to take a job for a little while, or they're doing various things, um, that I would be really afraid to say that those women are in sin.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, this is all good.
1: about the heart. Yeah. Good.
0: Yeah, this is really good, Aaron, because what you've just described is yeah. um, how to teach women to be workers in home and all of the theological issues you have to deal with to to rightly teach a woman have to be uh, a, a woman to be a worker at home. You have to get into the heart motivation uh, is is her heart there. That's theology. Right. And and so, again, it, for guys who would say, you know, Titus, two, this is what women should be doing. One hundred percent. I agree with you. All of the way, now let's talk about if you understand the passage or not. Because if you're gonna teach a woman to be a worker at home, um, one, that just means that her her heart and mind are focused on home, so she could still have a job outside, right? Um, it, it doesn't mean she can only do things in the home because that's not what the word means. And, and then for those who are stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home wives, um, th- then the question is, you'd still have to um, teach them to do it out, out of a heart desire, um, primarily for God. And so you can't even teach, women can't even teach other women how to be workers at home, uh, how to be home-minded without doctrinal teaching, without theological thinking. And so I know we've said this a lot and it's very repetitive, but I, I hope the point that we're helping people see is that if Titus 2 is your go-to and praise God, it should be But if you understand it rightly, this is what Titus two implies. Um, Women teach other women with theology, 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 doctrine, 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 because you can't do any of these things, which you stated at the very beginning, um, without that. And so, if a woman is to be faithful, she's she has to be in the Word of God,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right? And and not just surfacey feel good emotionally driven stuff. Uh, in fact, just leave that garbage on the shelf. Um, it, guys have their own versions of that, right? Uh, sports can be one of them, to be honest, amongst other things. Um, it, you know, or or books that just talk about the conquering man. You know, guys can get wrapped up in in those kind of niche things and twist it. Um, but if women want to do this well and this biblically um, and they want to submit rightly, then this whole passage assumes a woman who is deeply, who deeply loves God and is in His Word to the degree that to teach someone else these things, they can quote the Bible verses. They can take you to Ephesians and talk about, well, if you're going to submit to your husband first, you love God. Um, you know, if they can't do all these things, then they can't do Titus 2 faithfully. Um, so really good. It, it, why don't you just kind of, um, as we end here, Aaron, what would you say, what advice would you give to young women who are just trying to navigate faithfulness? Um, they're seeing all this stuff online, and they're just saying, uh, you've you just spoke at a, at a, at a conference. You're, you're going to be speaking at the G3 conference. They come up to you afterwards and they say, Aaron, I'm just really struggling. I want to be a Titus II woman, but I'm so confused because I hear this thing and I hear this thing. What's your counsel to them?
2: Yeah, I would say um, you need to just learn how to walk. Walk with the Lord, enjoy Him, know His Word, seek to know it front to back, back to front, um, and that spend your time worshiping Him, learning about Him, and find a godly older woman. Hopefully, you're already in a that is expositing a word if for whatever reason your husband is not there um that you you just can't be in a church where the word is being exposited or maybe there's not one near you there are tons of faithful expository ministries online that you can be supplementing um with that but grab a hold of a titus two woman that's going to walk you through all of these things but um be a Mary that, you know, the one thing necessary is happening. And the Lord will be so faithful to sanctify you, um, to carry out your duties in the home, sit down with your husband, ask him, what does he like? What does he not like? How does he want the home to function and run? And we're women, but we're not working independently here. We're we're in a marriage and we're in a home. And so that takes uh, a lot of knowing your husband, what does he, what does he want in the home? So, um, like James, there are certain things that he likes to clean home. So I like to clean a home. I'm not a very creative person. So I'm probably going to have more of like a minimalist look to my home because my brain just doesn't work that way. So for some people, I'm a terrible homemaker because I am not, you know, showing Jesus through the design of my curtains or how I lay out my pillows and stuff like that. Um, But I would just say, yeah, grab that older woman. Um, Again, if you don't have those resources available to you, I know at Grace Life Church, when we arrived, um, what was really lacking as, you know, years have decades have gone by where preaching has been really weak in the pulpits. um, We didn't have a lot of gray hairs at our church. And so somebody like me was kind of filling the gap where I'm still a little bit filling the gap because the older gray haired people at our church have so much life wisdom to offer, but they've just been saved. Um, And so we were a lot of first generation Christians at our church. And so um, me and especially the elders wives have really bonded together to not leave the next generation Um, without biblical discipleship, the way that we were left. Now, I was at Grace Community Church um, for years when we went to seminary and I was discipled by older women. Actually, our women's ministry is modeled after their women's ministry. It had such an impact on my life and my heart and my home, my marriage, my parenting that James was like, wow, wherever we end up, we need to have a ministry like this because this has so rooted you in, in how to care for our home." Biblical womanhood, um, and so that ministry has been running for decades like I think it's like 50 years or something like that. Um, where and the first thing that I learned when I went to Everyone's Grace was they were studying the book of Revelation, (laughs) like so we study the book of Revelation, but that still had an impact really on my heart for the fear of the Lord. Um, and going through all of that, uh, was just a really exciting time for me. So, yeah, I would say that grab a hold of an older woman if you can't find one. Find somebody like Susan Heck, like a Lisa Hughes, um, like Martha Peace, like all of these women who have shown themselves faithful over the years, um, who really love male leadership, who uphold and love their elders love, um, you know, obviously Susan's a, a widow at this point, but loved her husband when he was alive, served him well, um, find women who, who are doing that, who are emulating that and, and just drill them, ask them as many questions. I would grab a hold of as many women as I could at Grace Me Church and just drill them with so many questions. And, uh, so I, that would be my basic advice and then just get off the internet. It's not helpful. If you're, you know, there was one woman, a friend of mine who had said she had a woman come to her going, can I, can I even teach my kids theology? Like that's how confusing how much men are upsetting households that a woman is questioning, whether it's even biblical for her, like as a young Christian, like I imagine she doesn't have first Timothy in her mind where, you know, there's Lois and Eunice and um, where, where she's using that passage to combat the error. No, you can teach your children. And with a woman like me, I don't have daughters, so I'm not teaching homemaking. I like, and I need to know how to teach my boys theology. We're raising theologians. And although James is the head of the home and takes the brunt of that, I'm still teaching them every day. And I still have to answer all their questions. So I need to know things to teach them. Um, But I would say just, just get off the internet. It's as of right now, it's not helpful. Um, it's confusing a lot of people. And until you're well, I think is deep enough to then engage with some of these things. Um, it might be better if you just leave and, and let it die for a bit. Amen. I'm saying the internet was not around when I was <laughs> a new believer, because there's some things I watch and I'm like, Oh, I totally did that. Like I have confidence that, you know, with some of these young women, that's just, it's zeal, a lot of zeal, not a lot of knowledge. Um, yeah. and. Like I see the qualities and I'm like, oh, that was totally me. So there's, I see hope, you know, I'm not completely sanctified, but um, like going, yeah, okay. The Lord refined that out of me. So I, I have hope for them that if they're in Christ, he'll keep sanctifying them. But I do think that the internet makes it very difficult. I think you, there's a lot more blind spots with people that they are, they just don't see.
0: Yeah. I think it's heartbreaking to hear Accounts of of women coming and saying, "Is it even okay if I teach my kids about God?" Right it it, it's a it's a general command for parents to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, Ecky, um, why don't you close us out by? I'm gonna give you the easy task of talking to some of the men who have maybe misinterpreted this passage, uh, and and for whatever reason they've gotten caught up in. Um, you know, homemaking just means you got to cook the bacon and and the eggs and change the baby's diaper or whatever. Um or maybe they've just taken it too far. um, and they're saying maybe maybe I've been a little off. maybe I've misunderstand this. what 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 piece of advice or words of wisdom would you would you give to to those guys, Eki?
1: yeah, the the commands that we find in the Bible um apply to both men and women. I mean, I think of Romans twelve. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 talks about putting off the old, putting on the new, but in between, uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And so that is just as important for women as it is for men. And I think as we've had Erin um, here um, on this podcast, she is a great example of someone who is theological, discerning, clear, articulate, able to teach other women And so she is a very clear example of what women could be and how they can be an encouragement to other women. And so I I would say to those men, do not not shortchange your women and do not hurt your women by placing restrictions upon them that are not there in Scripture. And even in a case where someone, you know, your women's group might study, for instance, the attributes of God. So let's say you pick up the attributes of God from Stephen Charnock or A.W. Tozer or something like that. What a great study. And, and even if there aren't direct um, direct guidelines or, or, or direct uh, ways that they know ahead of time how they're going to link this to Titus 2, um, just the study of the attributes is going to be great, first of all. And I think there is a special um, encouragement that women take from other women when they see someone like an Erin Coates who knows the word, who uh, applies the word to her life. And, and appreciates these truths because these truths have an outflow into how we live out our lives. And of course, when we live out our lives, we should live our lives according to the priorities given to us by Scripture. We are to love God, we are to love our spouse, and we're to love our children, we're to serve the church, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the to, to those men who try to restrict this or to say that, hey, if you're studying something that's not specific to Titus 2, then why don't you go ahead and include the men in? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with men and women studying together. Um, but certainly, there's also nothing wrong with women just studying that together because inevitably, as they study these things, they will start to discuss how this applies to their life, specifically as women, as wives, as mothers, but most importantly, as a woman of God. So, The the Bible is profitable for all of us, and we want to be sure that we are following the the, the headship, obviously, and I think Aaron has provided us great examples of how that's done. Your elders, your leaders, your pastors, your teachers need to be men. Everything needs to be connected to the pulpit. I love that point as well. I mean, one of the great uh, comforts I have with my wife, she teaches a women's group. They've been going over... Um, Jerry Bridges book, Respectable Sins. That's not a specific Titus 2 passage, but I have confidence in my wife that she's not going to say or teach anything that's going to be contradicted by what I say in the pulpit. So everything is connected. And if anything contradicts what's said in the pulpit, then that needs to be addressed. But I think this is a great example of how it's done well. And you're right, Aaron, the encouragement, from, uh, from Grace Community Church, whether it was SEM Wives or um, we had a ministry called Women Walking Wisely and Faith Builders. Those are lessons that my wife has taken here to this church, and it's been a wonderful encouragement. So do not shortchange your women by making them follow legalistic restrictions that were not intended by Scripture, but allow them to be disciplers, just as men are disciplers of men.
0: Amen. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us and uh, guys, for you listening. I hope that this has been helpful. You know, the aim is that, you know, as believers, we are constantly reforming and becoming more like Christ. And so we hope that this this podcast episode does that for you. We hope it brings freedom where there needs to be freedom. Um, Christ is the Lord of freedom. Satan is the Lord of legalism. And we need to stay far, far away from that.